0: And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you don't mind me keeping my scarf on. It's a little bit chilly. Um, You might have to, you know, do some stretches or something to warm ourselves up. Um, Thank you, Stuart, for that reading. My name's Jess, and this morning we're going to be continuing with our Keys to Faith series, and the title is Share the Faith. I wonder how confident you feel about telling other people about Jesus. Do you talk generally about church or prayer or God with the people in your life who don't know him? Do you find it easy or hard? I'm going to start with a confession. I am not a natural evangelist. And for a very long time, I was just too self-conscious, worried, probably about saying the wrong thing, but also I had a deep fear, I think, of being rejected, um, especially by people close to me if the things that I said didn't land well. I also didn't want people to think that I was weird or crazy. Now, I don't care so much whether anybody thinks I'm weird or crazy these days, and that's definitely helped me to overcome the fear. Now, I want to start by telling you a story from my teenage years, but before I do, let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak to our hearts through this passage this morning, and Holy Spirit, would you prompt and guide us to know how we should respond in the week coming. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've mentioned in previous talks that I grew up in a small, independent Christian fellowship of about 100 people run entirely by volunteers. My sister and I and my cousin and her cousin were the youth. And uh, (laughs) despite being privately really committed to God, um, in, in my childhood and in my teens, at high school, I barely mentioned that I went to church. And I wouldn't have been seen dead at the Christian Union, and I would usually gloss over the what did you do at the weekend type questions. Now, I just didn't want to stand out, really, at all, and especially not for my faith, and just after I turned 16, I felt that nudge from God like you get sometimes, and I felt like he was nudging me to get baptized, and I knew, obviously, growing up in the church, I'd heard it preached, I knew that it was something that Jesus told us to do, and, um, and I sort of Felt like it was an act of obedience. Um, we also had a small baptistry built into the floor of our church. And uh, baptism services were always very exciting for everyone. Because as we were a small church, a bit like a wedding, the person being baptized would choose every element of the service. So they kind of crafted the baptism service. So it was super excited. But the most exciting thing was that you were expected to invite non-Christians to come. Now, everyone in our church would get very excited about the prospect of having non-Christians in the building, and you would guarantee that they would be intensely welcomed by by everyone when they came in, and um, so I really did feel the pressure to invite some of my school friends along, and nervously, I did. Now, quick show of hands for anyone old enough to remember the 1960s singer Adam Faith, Quite a few. Well, two weeks before my baptism, my mum and I were having a clear out upstairs and we found an old Adam Faith record. (laughs) So we put this record on and I was sort of dancing down the stairs and I fell and uh, twisted my ankle and tore ligaments in my foot. I do blame Adam Faith for this. And um, I was in a lot of pain and on crutches. And the two weeks leading up to my baptism were really very painful and uncomfortable. But despite that, and the fact that I crutched my way to the baptism pool, the thing I was most concerned with was the fact that my non-Christian friends (laughs) were in the building. Now, of course, they came. The service was lovely. Everyone was intensely welcomed. And uh, I never asked a single one of them what they thought of it afterwards. Now, my first reading of this passage made me feel a bit like that. (laughs) And to paraphrase, it says, go and tell all creation about me, proclaim the gospel, believe and be baptized, perform some miraculous signs. Anyone else feeling like they want to hyperventilate? (laughs) That, That feels like pressure to me that I'm not up to. Now, I know that some of you love evangelism and you can't help telling everyone you meet about Jesus and I hugely admire and respect you for that. I am definitely better at it than I used to be and uh, I'm ashamed to say that I felt God prompting me to preach maybe three years before I ever mentioned it to anyone, but I was just too self-conscious to reveal anything about myself so publicly. I'd done all-age talks, I'd done life group, but grown-up preaching felt like something else. I eventually preached my first Sunday morning sermon on the 24th of November, 2019, two weeks before um, our interregnum, two weeks into our interregnum, and it was quite ironic, really, I felt, that not long after that we went into lockdown and everything went on the internet, So, (laughs) preaching did not just become this room of people, it became anyone in the world who might look at it. And I still get that squeeze of vulnerability every time I see my face on our YouTube channel. Hasn't God got a great sense of humor? But that's enough about me. Let's get into this passage and to set it in place in the Gospels. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He's spoken to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb, and he sends her to go and tell the disciples that she's seen him. But the disciples don't believe her. And this passage comes directly after Jesus has rebuked the disciples for not believing Mary. So how are we to interpret and respond to this passage? Well, I've got in good sermon tradition three things to briefly explore and I'm fairly sure that wherever you sit on the spectrum from me to evangelist that there's something here for you. So number one, Jesus gives a clear instruction. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So that's quite specific, isn't it? Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. So just to break that down, this is a message for all of us to proclaim or announce or declare or trumpet, otherwise be a bit overt and loud about the good news of Jesus to everyone we meet, wherever we are. Now, we're to work as a team in this, as the people of God, because God will call some of us to other countries or other places to live, perhaps even other churches or or other friendship groups, perhaps. But even if we just stay in a five-mile radius of our house, that is our mission field. We all have a job to do. Now, another important synonym of proclaim is demonstrate because we all know what speaks louder than words, our actions. Proclaiming the good news is also about loving people like Jesus did. The famous words from 1 Corinthians 13 once say it best, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, and none of us want to be that. How are our words and actions doing when it comes to proclaiming the good news of Jesus? Sometimes it's easy to live an inward-looking life, staying busy with everyday activities, taking care of ourselves and just sort of minding our own business. But that isn't what Jesus calls us to do here. Perhaps God wants to stir all of us I'm pretty sure he does, this morning, about people or places where we're being nudged to speak into or ways to show God's love. Old friends, new friends, neighbors, family, workplaces, how do we live out our calling to proclaim the gospel in our Monday to Saturday places? Secondly, this passage reminds us about something really wonderful. It says, "Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned." We are reminded of Romans 8 verse one that says, "There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." And what does that mean? That when we come to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness, He chooses to forget our sins. And we know that from Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8. God chooses to forget them. The verse forces us to take stock of ourselves. We can believe all sorts of things in our heads, but faith takes it into our hearts and actions I believe in my head that Jesus is the son of God and that he defeated death when he died on the cross. But it's met with a giant so what if it doesn't make any difference to my life. In the way I act or the things I say or the things I do. We know from scripture that we can be forgiven without baptism. So why does Jesus tell us to be baptized? I think he gives us this gift to stir us into action, to be more than just words and intentions. My 16-year-old self found that really tough to do, but I have never regretted making that show of faith. How are we investing in our relationship with Jesus? Do you wanna be baptized? Have a chat with Alan or Sophie. Are you investing or letting your faith become dried up and distant? What I've learned over the years of I've been coming to church, which seems like forever, is that coming to church on its own doesn't do it. Having close Christian friends or a great life group leader or Christian parents or grandparents or nice calligraphy scriptures on our walls is not enough. There are no substitutes for living, real, day-to-day relationship with the creator of the universe. The distractions we all face every day, busy lives, kids, demanding jobs, trillions of options to watch, listen, and read, it's a genuine battle for our attention. We need to fix our intentions, and when we do, God does the rest. He's like the teacher who asks us the questions and then immediately gives us the answer. The Holy Spirit. The power of God that lives within those who love Jesus. So thirdly, we come to the slightly eye-opening last verse of our passage, which says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Wow. (laughs) These signs of God's power (laughs) are pretty extraordinary. And yet, the Bible shows that they are real things. We read in Acts 28 about Paul's encounter with a snake that doesn't hurt him. And in Luke 10, where the disciples report casting out demons and healing the sick. Some of this might seem a bit fantastical in 2022. Are these kinds of signs only for Bible times? But I wonder, I wonder what stories you know. If we were to spend the next hour sharing with each other modern day stories of miracles that we know about, then just looking around this room, I know we would hear stories of miraculous healings, testimonies of incredible life transformations, extraordinary stories of provision and answers to prayer and that we would be left in no doubt that God's power is at work in miraculous ways today in just the same way as always. Have we forgotten to be amazed by God? Have we become too distracted to tell stories about God's goodness and answered prayers to more than just the WhatsApp group who prayed for them? Testimonies that could be transformational to someone else. Let's look for opportunities to speak of God often. Let's be ready to share our stories. You don't have to have the answers to deep theological questions. We can say, I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is that God did this or he met me here, or he changed my life in this way. What, I wonder what opportunities we will have to do just that this week if we tune in to God's leading. Perhaps the band could come and join us. Us, me. (laughs) Yesterday, I finished Matthew Perry's new book, He played Chandler in the series Friends for 10 years and became one of the most famous men in the world. His book tells the heartbreaking story of his addiction to alcohol and prescription medication. In the book, he recounts meeting God in his kitchen in a dark moment of desperation, and he is clearly on a journey with God now. The way he shares his experience of knowing that God is real and having a relationship with him is blunt and matter-of-fact and delivers in exactly the same way that he describes all the really horrible details of his addiction. I was left feeling really challenged by such unintentional evangelism, and it's already been read by thousands of people since it was released three weeks ago. It made me wonder if I sometimes just get too comfortable with my cozy, inward-looking faith and forget that there is a desperate world crying out to know the love of God. We know that secret, and it is our privilege to be able to share it. Let's just spend a few minutes asking God to show us how he would like us to respond to his word this morning. And I'll be on the sofas afterwards if anyone would like me to pray for them. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, open our hearts and our minds to people, places, situations to share your love through our words and our actions. Thank you that we can come to you for forgiveness Jesus would you make that head belief become actions from our hearts show us how to grow in our relationship with you whether that's through baptism prayer studying your words fasting, solitude and listening to your prompts and acting out of obedience increase our expectations for a show of your power. Holy Spirit, would you use our hearts, minds, and hands to make your story one that we can't help but share. In Jesus' name.